Welcome to this episode of Planting Seeds. I'm Keith Jones, the preaching minister of the Calera Church of Christ, and I've prepared a short message from Scripture that's intended to be the planting of a seed that, if cultivated, will in time produce fruit in the lives of the listeners. Now, let's get started. The Lord bless and keep you. May His face shine upon you and be gracious and give you peace. In this episode, we'll conclude our study of the book of Joshua by looking at Joshua chapter 23. If you have a Bible with you, follow along while I read. A long time afterward, when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their surrounding enemies, and Joshua was old and well advanced in years, Joshua summoned all Israel, its elders and its heads, its judges and officers, and said to them, I am now old and well advanced in years, and you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. For it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. Behold, I have allotted to you as an inheritance for your tribes those nations that remain along with all the nations that I have already cut off, from the Jordan to the great sea in the west. The Lord your God will push them back before you and drive them out of your side, and you shall possess their land just as the Lord your God promised you. Therefore, be very strong to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right hand nor to the left, that you may not mix with these nations remaining among you or make mention of the names of their gods or swear by them or serve them or bow down to them. But you shall cling to the Lord your God just as you have done to this day. For the Lord has driven out before you great and strong nation. And as for you, no man has been able to stand before you to this day. One man of you puts to flight a thousand, since it is the Lord your God who fights for you just as he promised you. Be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. For if you turn your back and cling to the remnant of these nations remaining among you and make marriages with them so that you associate with them and they with you, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you, but they shall be a snare and a trap for you, a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from off this good ground that the Lord your God has given you. And now I am about to go the way of all the earth, and you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word has failed from all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you, not one of them has failed. But just as all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you have been fulfilled for you, so the Lord will bring upon you all the evil things until He has destroyed you from off this good land that the Lord your God has given you. If you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them, then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and you shall perish quickly from off the good land that he has given to you. Many of us have heard the saying that might makes right implying that if you're strong enough, you can get your way and you get to decide what's right. But here in this chapter, Joshua is determined to make sure that Israel knows that right makes might, that when you are right with God, you will be as strong as you need to be to conquer any enemy. He lets them know right up front that any battle they have uh, still in front of them will be won by trusting in God's strength. He mentions that in in verse 3. 
He reminds them that it is God that has been fighting for them. The chief weapon of the Israelites to this point had been their faith in God. They're trusting God enough to do what he said and to do it his way. It seems that for us in our day, sometimes as a nation, we have so much that we've never been fully forced to rely on God. Not the way Israel had, who was out in the wilderness and wasn't sure which way to go and how to get there and how to win their battles. They were totally relying on God. But because we live in such a prosperous country and uh, are conditioned to think that we're creating a lot of those things ourselves, a lot of us have not been forced to fully rely on God. So when battles come up in our life, when there are struggles that we need to overcome, we tend to want to run away because we know that we can't do it on our own strength, but we've never learned to rely on God. Joshua was blessed with these successes because he realized in every situation he was second in command. Joshua was leading God's army. It was God's way that had to be followed, and he was just making sure it happened. He was making sure Israel knew what that was, but he never struggled with the idea of who was in charge. We ourselves daily need to make sure that we have settled that question for ourselves, that no matter what choices arise in our day, we're second in command. So we defer to God and his choices because it's in that trusting in him trusting in his strength that will win the battle. But look at what happens in this chapter. For the first five verses, uh, Joshua talks to Israel about how powerful God is. And then in verse six, he says, so you be very strong. What is Joshua getting at here? If it's God's strength that's going to win, God's the one that needs to be strong, not us. We talk about our own weakness and how that it's made perfect in, in God's strength and our weakness is used by God to accomplish things. And why does Joshua tell them to be strong? It seems that what Joshua is getting at here is that the strength that we experience from God should motivate us to participate in that strength, to become strong in his might. Seven times Joshua mentions that there are still enemies among them and that there could be problems. They were going to have to fight battles without Joshua there to tell them what to do. They needed to develop their own spiritual strength so that they would be able to do what God wanted them to do. This came about by training, and by that training, they increased their own spiritual strength. The same thing applies to us today. If you go to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, we're told that we should be strong and put on the whole armor of God. There are things that we need our own personal strength for, and that comes about by training. God is the one who provides the victory, but we have a responsibility to let him develop our own strength so that he can use us to provide those victories. There's a uh, story about uh, a favorite head coach of mine. If you don't know, I attended the University of Alabama, and um, when I was a child, Bear Bryant was the coach of the University of Alabama, and there are a lot of stories and, and folklore that surround him in our state, um, but there's one in particular that I think has some application here. Bear Bryant was talking to a group of recruiters that he was sending out to watch a game. And uh, they had asked him about this uh, 
one particular player, and he said, watch that guy real close. He said, because when the game starts, uh, he's the guy that's going to get knocked down. But you'll see him, and he'll get up every time. And he'll go back in, and they'll knock him down again, and he'll get back up. And every play, he just keeps getting knocked down. He keeps getting back up. And the recruiter says, is that the guy we want, coach? Is that we want that guy because he keeps getting up? He said, no, 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 no. I want you to get the guy that keeps knocking him down. We need to be the guys who can stand up against Satan's advances, not just scrape ourselves up after a defeat. Uh, we're surrounded by evil, so we have to be strong. We don't want to be overcome by that. And yes, the strength is God's and it develops in us, but it comes about by training. So what does this training look like? If we want to be more strong spiritually, if we want to grow spiritually and, and become strengthened, how is that strengthening done? I think Joshua has given a blueprint in this chapter of exactly what that looks like. First of all, he tells them that they have to stay focused on the Word of God. Don't deviate from it from the right hand or the left. For us, we have to have this focus on God's Word. Joshua understood, uh, as we said earlier, that it wasn't might that makes right. It's right that makes might. It was important for them to know what the right thing to do was so that they could be empowered. And this word of God, this direction that he gives us is his gift for our empowerment. As we started this series, we talked about God giving us the strength and the courage to take all the blessings that he's promised us. But we haven't always taken them, just like Israel here still had enemies among them. We leave enemies standing and we don't take all that God has promised us. He gives us his word. He gives us his instruction to empower us to know exactly what we need to do and how to go about receiving all of those blessings. A second thing that uh, Joshua told Israel is that they would need to turn away from ungodly associations. They couldn't intermingle with all these other nations and rely on their gods. They need to be wholly devoted to their God. So it's important for us to monitor the relationships and, and, and really decide who's impacting whom. Jesus certainly hung out with sinners. He ate with them. He did things with them and for them. But you never got the sense that their sin was affecting him. We need to make sure that we're in healthy relationships, and we need to make sure that our interactions with other people, even Outsiders and sinners are, are healthy, and so we constantly evaluate those things and be honest about who's impacting whom. See, if I'm not careful, some of my outreach attempts to people who are struggling with, with heavy burdens may affect me in a negative way and actually pull me further away from God rather than helping those people get closer to God. I need to call in help and reinforcements and those. Maybe I need to step away and let someone else handle it. But I have to make sure that I don't entangle myself with ungodly associations. We need to put ourselves in situations where our light can shine. If the the darkness is too much for us, if we're just not able to shine in those circumstances, those may be things for other people to deal with. Or again, we bring in help, but we certainly uh, don't want our light to be overcome by darkness. We want to be in situations where our light can shine. 
Joshua also made sure that Israel knew that part of their strengthening would come from rejecting all other forms of worship. He told Israel to cling to God. That Hebrew word there is the same word that is used to talk about a husband and wife when a husband cleaves to his wife, hangs on to her, and doesn't let her go. It's the first commandment that we have to love the Lord your God. Put him first. That didn't change from the Old Testament to the New Testament. You should have no other gods before me. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind are the same commandment, just worded in different ways. God needs to be first, and he needs to be our only object of worship. God wants to be in first place. And it's not because he's an egomaniac and just needs the attention. It's because he knows that he knows what we need. We don't always know that, but he asks us to trust him. He'll give us what we need to get us home. The irony for Israel was that they were constantly tempted to worship gods that their God had already defeated. And those gods could not do what their God did. And it's easy to look at these Israelites and go, man, they were so foolish. How could they have done that? But fast forward to today and look at how often we do the same thing. We may not call those gods Baal or Ashtoreth, but they may look like money or power or popularity or prestige or any number of things that we strive for that determine our decision-making rather than God. We need to make sure that we put God in first place. Joshua also made sure that Israel understood that they needed to observe the faithfulness of God's discipline. He told them, and by extension, we need to hear that if God keeps 100% of all of his promises, we can bet he'll keep all of his threats as well. He tells people that if they find themselves in Christ, they're protected. But if they're outside Christ, that distance from God is going to be so overwhelming at some point in, in the future that, that it is unbearable. It's described as being burned, and, and the feeling is unquenchable. I know there have been times, and maybe even some of you have preachers to this day who focus on those negative things about God, but we may miss the point when we hear those threats from God. What God is trying to communicate is that he loves us too much to let us destroy ourselves with sin. He is trying to get our attention and use any means necessary to get us to cling to him and trust him so that we can avoid an eternity without him. We read in Hebrews chapter 12 that we need to expect pain in our lives. We, we live in a world that's broken and is not functioning the way it's supposed to, and that affects us, and there's pain. And it's not that God wishes the pain on us, but what we're told over and over again in Scripture is that when those pains, when those afflictions, when those burdens come on us, God can train us and shape us and mold us through them. So he lets us experience that pain and he lets us learn some things about ourselves and about him so that we're better able to have faith in him as we grow. It's part of that spiritual growth that comes about by letting God train us through our pain. There once was a little boy who had a 
boat and he would take it down to the pond and uh, let it float along the shore and he was so proud of the boat and he loved that boat but one day a particularly strong gust of wind came up and carried the boat out to the middle of the pond and he didn't have any way of getting to it and he was very upset that he may have lost his boat and an older man that had been fishing nearby who had just started walking away and saw what was going on and he came back over and he started picking up rocks and he started throwing them at the boat. And the little boy was just totally distraught. Why would this man try to sink his boat by throwing rocks at it? But soon he started noticing something. Even in his despair, without the older man saying a word, he started noticing that the boat was moving back toward him. Why? This man wasn't throwing at the boat, but he was throwing just beyond the boat, creating ripples in the water that was pushing the boat back toward the shore. Eventually, the little boy gets his boat back, and he's learned some things about what the wind can do if you're not paying attention and and how to overcome a problem when it arises. God does this for us. God didn't cause our boat to drift away, but he will do some things that shape us and mold us and help us get our boat back to where it needs to be? Do we trust him enough? When it looks like he's throwing rocks at us, do we realize that he's maybe creating ripples that will push us back closer to him? We have to observe the faithfulness of God's discipline if we want to grow spiritually. Another aspect of this spiritual growth is noticing God's goodness. Over and over again, the word good appears in this chapter. Joshua reminds them continually that God is good. And meditating on God's goodness can provide motivation for obedience. If we keep reminding ourselves all that we have to be grateful for, it's easier to trust God, to follow God in the future. One of the weak spots that Satan attacks is our ingratitude of God. The times when we can't see how good things are, when we're wanting something else, when we're focused on what we don't have rather than all that we've been blessed with. We need to be a people who notice God's goodness and can be thankful in every circumstance. And lastly, we need to be willing and able to grow in loving God. It's possible for us to do the right thing just because it's the right thing. We can force ourselves by a sheer force of will to do something. But this only lasts for so long. If we're going to be connected with God and make a lifelong commitment to him and live with him for eternity, we've got to have a different motivation than just because it's the right thing to do. Soon we have to be motivated by our love for God. We have to love God so much that what we're doing is a love response to him and not a burden or a chore that we feel like we've been given. Because we need to know we will never be stronger than our love for God. So Joshua leaves the people following him with a a few words about trusting in God, about allowing God to win the battles, but how that they could be strengthened by that God to participate in those battles and, and overcome their circumstances. Are we a people who are willing to go through that training? Or will we stay focused on God's word? Will we turn away from ungodly associations? Will we reject other objects of worship? Will we observe the faithfulness of God's discipline? Will we notice God's goodness? And will we grow in our love for God? Thank you for listening. 
You can find more of these messages on our website, calirachurchofchrist.org, or subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. 